Good morning. Okay, now I can. There we go. Good morning. What's up, Morgan? How are you, bud? You know, I'm finding out just this morning that uh, the one of the bands that I let stay with me uh, stole my cajon. They, I had a little box drum, and it's no longer here. And, you know, no. it could have been 13 Little Elves that came overnight, or it could have been the stranger I let stay with me for a day. I'm, I'm using Occam's razor here. Uh, and, you know, I, I think he still drinks. I'm actually certain he still drinks. And I, I don't think the two things are unrelated. Right. Um, no, right. We are different people when we drink. Um, and the level of selfishness is off the chain. I didn't even know who I was really until like, that was kind of the fun of the sober thing. Like my sponsor threw it to me as a, I'm on a sober vision quest and I was like, Oh cool. Yeah. Let's see what I got here. And you know, it was interesting to see who I actually was without still crazy. Good stuff. Well, yeah, you still are pretty crazy. I should uh I should give you an introduction. Do you, are you good at introducing yourself? You want me to give you a full on um I'm good either way. I'll give it to you. Who hey. are you? Uh well Morgan, thank you. Uh my name is Duke Rumley. I'm the executive director of Sober As Buck Entertainment. Sober AF Entertainment. Whoop. This is what we do. This is our jersey. Um so I set up uh sober sections at uh, music festivals, concerts, and sporting events with the thinking that creating a safe space and a fun place will help people um, uh, reduce the stigma of addiction and uh, help uh, spearhead a community looking for um, each other. So how do we help uh, folks who are going substance-free find each other? And um, that's kind of the mission. And you don't have any proselytizing background or anything, no agenda to push when you do this. You're not having people take surveys. You're not having people sign up and join in a club. This is all This is all just you doing your thing, isn't it? Correct. So it's really trying to get people to um, realize they can host their own substance-free event. Um, and... You know, I think there's a miscommunication uh, about the term anonymity, meaning you can't um, say that you're sober. And that's not what anonymity means. You know, the uh, tradition of anonymity means you can't say you're part of a certain group um, that asks you not to do it. So because of that, um, I think the substance free community um, has a hard time raising its hand saying, hey, we're over here. Um Let's get together and uh, gather outside of uh, um, our usual meetings. So that's what we're all about is trying to teach people how to do it and have some fun. Um, and I want to hear more about Morgan. You got to introduce yourself. Of course. Yes. Well, I'm Morgan. I am uh, still sober <laughs> by the grace of God. And uh, I play music for a living and I have a podcast and I am currently just interviewing anybody and everybody who will be on this podcast lately it's been a string of musicians but every now and again i get a guy with a good cause like yourself um thank you for actually asking to be on here usually i have to be the one to be like well you know uh yeah these post weekly i've been doing this one for about since covid since 2020 and it's been it's been an interesting ride it's opened a lot of doors um question about what you were just saying with uh 
with, with anonymity in relation to the group. I've found that like when you have like sober events like that don't involve the activities that people associate with sobriety, it, it's like get it does get a different reaction. Cause like when I first got sober, a lot of my close friends, they were like, well, can I still drink around you? Can I still, is it okay if I smoke a cigarette around you or something like that? And I was like, right. and I'm sure you've run into that as well. Right. Where people are like, are you now a completely different person or what do I do? Right. Um, and it's funny, like, I didn't even know what to say, you know? Um, and I, uh, so, um, I have been sober since May 15th of 1989 and I was 21 years old and, you know, I have kept some of my core friends from, uh, high school and, you know, to that question, um, I wanted still to hang out and, or I wanted really still to have fun. So this group is not sure how to handle me going with them to a Grateful Dead concert where they don't plan on being sober. So, um, you know, I went with them and, uh, I, you know, had a, uh, Mountain Dew for every Budweiser they had and a, a marble red for every time they fired up a joint and, um, and it was still really fun, but I also realized it was a little more fun to bring a sober wingman with me. Um, and that was kind of my, my lesson that I learned, but, I also was at a dead show like at six months, no, six weeks sober. So um, don't think I would suggest that, but uh, that was my path was early on, um, you know, probably went to maybe five to seven Grateful Dead shows that first year of my sobriety. Um, and, uh, and it was really important just that I could still feel like I'm living on the edge and uh and still stay sober, right? I mean, I think there was a part of me afraid that I was going to lose um, this, I don't want to call it bad boy, but, you know, part of me that still wanted to go out and have fun and be um, rebellious. And, um, you know, if I'm going to get sober, am I going to, you know, join the library league and, uh, you know, not have fun and, you know, never chase skirts and, you know, kind of stuck in church basements, which um, wasn't the case. Um, but, you know, there was nobody um, leading that way. The only way I could really find that um, was through some old friends and going to dead shows. And then I did find a, a couple other young people groups that were uh, substance free. And that also helped. Uh, I, I'm in the same boat as you because I never stopped playing gigs when I first got sober. So I'd not drink and I'd still have to play in bars at night and I'd still go around. And I never really <clears throat> had a problem with it because I started be I started playing in bands when I was like 15, 16, because that was how I could drink underage. They'd be like, oh, I'm with the band. <laughs> but uh, as I made an ass of myself a couple of times as a teenager, I realized, OK, actually, it got to the point where my mom was going out to bars, handing out pictures of me saying, don't serve him. Uh, and then the bartender, <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but so I stopped drinking at bars because around that time. So it was already like, I could view it as work and not get tempted. And then just the more I did it, the more practice I had of like, okay. And then fine. Usually 
I'm not the only guy in the band that doesn't drink or usually I'm not the only guy that also that's how I knew I was an alcoholic was like dude I can play with he'll have like two and stop and then I'm like what do you mean two and stop so I totally get that of like living on the edge and yeah I I mean when you think for the rest of your life yeah you're like oh god am I just gonna go ahead and suit up and be Amish now am I gonna go put on my right. Mormon underwear right yeah so that that's that's pretty nuts but you got sober before the internet. So that must've been harder. You must've had a lot like harder people and a harder time finding things. And like, probably when you did go to meetings or like saw other sober people, they were a lot more like serious about it. Like now we're making meme pages and we're, we're like all throwing it around the culture. Like it's casual, like, Oh, Hey, happy to be here. So, you know, the infrastructure has changed a great deal. Um, meaning, uh, how to find a meeting, you know, you used to have to drive into a town, <clears throat> go to a gas station, um, look up, uh, your favorite, uh, 12 step meeting name, call that number, leave a voicemail, say, Hey, call me back. I'm looking for the meeting here in Fort Lauderdale, stand by the phone, hope that the guy would call you back. He'd call you back and he'd say, okay, um, you know, go to the bad side of town. Uh, there's a burned out gas station. It's in the church behind the burned out gas station. It would take you an hour to find it. You would show up with about five minutes left in the meeting and you'd be like, all right, at least I know where it is next week. And, uh, you know, and now you go on your phone, you click, uh, where's the nearest meeting. It pops up, you know, there's 17 in the next uh, two hours. You know, the closest one is half a mile away. Um, so we are duly blessed, um, just that it's a lot more accessible. But um, it's also my belief that membership is down in those 12-step communities. Um, and I think it uh, kind of peaked in 2000. Um, and I think uh, I say that just that the amount of literature being sold has really fallen off since 2000. And I think there's a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, uh, that community doesn't always feel welcoming to young people. It's not always a safe place for women. Um, I think there is a, uh, a selfishness culture that, uh, that is over, you know, that is here, um, based on, uh, maybe it's a cell phone, maybe it's, um, you know, just kind of a lack of leadership. Um, but it just seems like, you know, we are, a lot uh there's some red flags of more uh ourself first and our community second and um uh we'll we'll see how uh you know the 12-step world survives but there's definitely some red flags going up it sounds like for you to go through all that just to show up five minutes with a meeting left i mean it sounds like you really had to want that or you were court ordered like, cause, cause now one of the funniest things I was thinking too, is like, if you throw a sober event where they, there's no question of what it is. Cause I can't tell you how many meetings I would go to where I'm like, is this the place? Even, even though it's the thing on the phone, you're still like, I'm not sure if this is it. And like, right. it, after the hundredth time you feel that way, you're like, okay, so I'm in the right place, but you know, you eliminate that a little bit, but I totally understand what you're saying as far as like any benefit society is going to struggle right now. Um, I'm no expert 
social media, I think, has some say in it because anytime that I think I have a problem, I can find a social media post that validates me that has like some kind of scapegoat and excuse that like, oh, yeah, this is totally normal. Oh, there's a group of people who behave this way. Oh, it's okay. And then there's new things coming up every day. But like, for example, my dad drank for a long time and then he quit and he quit cold turkey and he never did AA. And then he quit for like 20 years, then he relapsed and then he stopped again, then he relapsed and then he stopped again. Uh, and he hasn't drank since he stopped again, but he's never done AA, never read the book, never done anything like that. And he's also never done rehab or treatment or anything like that. Good for dad. Uh, yeah. Um, at the same time though, like I, I met another guy yesterday and he's, he was a recovering meth addict and he's like two years clean from meth, all cold Turkey, no meetings. There, there, there's, there seems to be like a, like, like a proud, I don't need this. I can do it myself. Like attitude behind some people, you know, and good on them. I don't have it, but I think there's like the, yeah. Since 1939, there have been more and more ways of this isn't the only way to do it. It's a way to do it, or it's the way that worked for me. Well, um, I think part of that pride is they didn't have to spend, you know, 30 or $50,000 going to rehab. Um, and then, you know, I think as a society, we don't like being told what to do. So there's probably a little bit of that. Um you know, for me, I went to rehab in 89, but I went for eight days. And that's what rehab looked like back then. You know, you'd go for eight days, you would have some type of emotional shift. And what rehab taught me was, hey, this is kind of a big deal. You may want to stay sober for a couple months. Um, and uh, that's that was my big takeaway. And that there is a community out there of people who are doing it uh, consistently. And you should go check them out. And they're at the front of the phone book. And um, so I went and checked that out. And, um, you know, I was no longer the black sheep of the family for a couple months. So that was a big deal. I wanted to continue that. Yeah, I, I've still it blows my mind how people can afford rehab. Like I was like, wait, you just took off work and spent all that? Bro? <laughs> I don't even make that much. What are you talking about? Right. No. <laughs> um, and it's why people don't get seek help. So uh, according to SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Association, um, only one out of 10 people who have substance abuse issues seek treatment over the past 12 months. And, um, you know, that's a big number. 90% of people, you know, who have some type of, uh, if it was, let's call it brain cancer, you know, don't seek help. Um, and it's because, uh, A, they don't think of a problem. B, uh, they don't think they can afford the solution or they don't like the solution. The, whatever that recovery solution looks like, it doesn't look uh, ideal to them. Yeah, when I was was early sobriety and i was complaining to my therapist that oh i hate meetings and he's like do cancer patients like chemo so i, I what totally, a great line yeah it is a great line great great line so what uh what brings you here today what message uh did you want to yeah. convey what did you want to talk about besides piling on treatment no um so my message is we have started 
um, a nonprofit, and this nonprofit is to support that community. And that community has been around for a long time, and it looks different in different places. But it's really how do we support people um, who want to go to concerts, sporting events, or music festivals who are looking for other people substance-free? And um, go to our website, SoberAFE.com, and you can sign up to host your own or join us at a substance-free event. And what does that look like? Well, um, Morgan just hosted one in Nashville for the Georgia-Tennessee football game where he had three different live bands um, play at this uh, sober support tailgate. We had uh, fried chicken, we had hamburgers, we had hot dogs, all kinds of food. Um, we had different local recovery community organizations. We had Sober Nashville um, there, and that's what it can look like. So you can find community looking to um, help each other uh, stay substance-free, um, and you can host one in your city. And that's my, uh, my big request, um, and that's our mission, is to kind of be the landing page for this substance-free revolution. Isn't it funny that <clears throat> you set up the, uh, you set up the sober tent and then right across is two different beer tents, such as the nature of the beast. And you notice like they spent a lot of money on theirs. Like we're nothing worse than trying to throw a tailgate and the guy next to you has got a bigger yacht. Um, so it's really important that we have ours to be badass. And Morgan, I'm going to be bragging about this tailgate for many, many years, buddy. Having three live bands um, was really, really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I was really shooting for the petting zoo, but that'll have to be next year. Uh, we helped uh, Holy Cross and they showed up with a bunch of petting uh, bunnies. So they had bunnies at their sober tailgate. So um, you say that and I'm like, wow, yeah. It's a thing. People are looking for it. Oh, for sure. Do, animals will always take precedence over anything else. They're like little celebrities. Right. But yeah, I guess that would be my my question about sober events is, <clears throat> so you've been to major music festivals, sporting events. How many times are you across from a liquor tent, a beer tent, the, the tailgate tour, the bartending thing? How, how many times does that happen to you? That's probably 100% of the time. Yeah, it's every you know? fucking time, isn't it? So, yeah, we go to Coors Field. We go to, you know, festivals sponsored by Tito's, which is great. They got all the money. Like, um, and that's also where the power is. So we're not anti-alcohol, but we need to create a community for people looking to go substance-free. Um, and that's kind of the mission is, you know, it's just, hey, if you want to... We're trying to create a secondary culture. So it doesn't have to be all beer pong or kind of this ecstasy lifestyle at festivals. You know, how do we help create a um, having a good time, substance free uh, community? Because sometimes you need a little extra support. You know, I started this uh, five and a half years ago. Um, at the time, my 16 year old son's best friend OD'd on a weed brownie, and my 20 year old daughter was at. Uh, Lewis, the child at Red Rocks, texted me she needed a ride home and didn't want to tell me why, but it was because her friends were on ecstasy. So five and a half years ago, I was like, we really need some type of secondary culture for these kids so that they can wait till they're, 
you know, over 21 to do uh, any type of drugs or alcohol. Why? Because, you know, they're Irish and they got my genes. And if that gene gets activated, you know, next thing you know, um, alcohol and drugs are going to be the number one uh, thing they're going to be thinking about. So um, that was the mission. And now it's five and a half years later and we're out there doing it for our other kids. So here's a tricky one because I, I personally don't know. I, I've never had to face this myself, but part of what you do falls under the scope of education. And when it comes to, I mean, you live in a legal weed state. So, so substance free events, right. You're not going to let people smoke pot at the event. Like that's not going to be a thing. But when it comes to like, there are people that legitimately believe that pot's not a drug. You know, there's people that legitimately think that like, Hey man, this, nobody's died from this. I'm not killing myself. How do you go about with, from the education standpoint with, um, with pot, what's the, what's the way to like meet the people halfway? Uh, I would say we have a pretty fine line, meaning we ask people uh, to come to our events who are not high. So um, we will tell them you will be triggering to our community if you show up high. So because of that, in our number one goal, making it a safe environment for the community, it's pretty easy for me to say, um, you're more than welcome to come. You can get high afterwards. We're not anti-weed. However, we are trying to show people how to have fun substance-free. And um, they usually don't like that answer, but um, that's really been the uh, the feedback that we've given them. It's easier in a state where weed's not legal because people there's less spaces like maybe the Greyhound bus station, maybe like a couple other places, but like most places around town here, people don't smoke weed just out in the open, but you go somewhere like where you are or California and it's literally everywhere. So just public opinions different about it. So I could see that being an issue. Um, I don't think, I can't think of any other questions. So my next... question yeah, for you, Morgan is like, what motivated you to drive all the way to Nashville to see the Nashville tailgate that we did at Vanderbilt and then to host your own and then basically work your ass off for 24 hours to host this thing, to bring your own grill, to go back and forth, setting up this tailgate at eight in the morning um, for a three thirty game Um and uh, yeah, so what what was the big motivator behind you doing all this? In short, somebody told me no. Um, anytime, like I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I've been told no, and I've been told to shut the fuck up so many times that uh, I've I've had enough of it. And I can accept the things I cannot change, but when it comes to something I can change, and there's no negative consequences, and people actually benefit from it then yeah, that's what I'm here to do. Like, if I can, I will. Um, also, I, I we've been planning this since May, and so everybody was aware of it on board, so I didn't want to not do it. I'd already, like, put all this thought and time into manifesting it that I was like, okay. So the second I was told no, I was like, you know what? That kind of hurts. And so I was glad you said, try and do it anyway. And then the bands also were like, I'm still down to play either way. And then a couple other people were like, no, F that, do it anyway. And I was like, 
Should I? And so from there, I took to the internet and asked. I just followed steps, you know? I took to the internet, asked how to get space for game day on campus, and then followed one after another. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really put too much of my own, like, ego or emotion into it. I tried not to let any resentments build. And then from there, I wanted to do something cool because, like, Otherwise, on a typical game day Saturday, I would have been getting hammered. I would have been out there just getting, I wouldn't have been good good for anybody, really, you know, or doing nothing, or I'd just be at home doing nothing. So, yeah, at at least I did something, you know, you got to do something. (laughs) Well, it was impressive, and um, I appreciate leaders. And you were a leader and there was no financial incentive to do this. Um, And we made the difference in a lot of people's lives that day. A lot of people were blown away just kind of seeing what was going on. Um, So uh, you are a a unicorn in that way, that you are doing it as a altruistic, other-centered approach. And uh, I greatly appreciated it. And um, I was honored to be to be there and uh, look forward to doing more of them. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, you said it very well earlier on was uh, when we were texting was God is in the room. And when you said that, I was like, OK, cool. So, like, it's beyond me. Just just let me let me do whatever's thrown at me and not try and force any of my own will on it. And it should work out just fine. Um, yeah. The The thing about altruism for me is. You know, I, I'm not a Christian by any means. Uh, I'm a universe guy, but I, I it's important to me that people do things without having the fear of God behind them or the fear of things like, what if people actually just did this because they were they felt that way? You know, what if what if I give you the shirt off my back because it's cold outside? Because you just took a whole you just took a cooler full of ice on you. You know what I mean? It's it's stuff like that. Um and I don't feel that people who do things like that are uh are talked about enough. Like, I don't know, there there was this old lady from like a hundred years ago. Have you heard of her? Her name is Peace Pilgrim. I'm not. No. No, all right. So this lady she, she walked across America like for peace in the name of peace and like some sometimes she'd sleep outside sometimes people would let her in but she walked the appalachian trail she walked i think she walked the pct she like that was her thing she'd just walk around and people heard of her and would like let her talk on tv and like have her message and they thought she was a nut but when she would like actually give her message it would be like whoa all she wants is some peace pretty crazy nobody talks about these people right no we're busy talking about uh, Taylor Swift. Right. Yeah. Or, uh, or just getting drunk last weekend. Jesus. Right. Christ. Yeah. Brought to you by <laughs> just name all the beer companies, man. It's pretty sick. It's oh yeah. Also the, the soberer I get, the angrier I am with, with the way, you know, society's set up, how much money people make off of us dying. It kind of pisses me off. Because I thought it was rebellious to drink. I thought, like, sure, because my parents told me not to. But then you, like, you get out from under your parents, and you're like, oh, now I just got a fucking problem. Like, oh. Right. But I was sold this. I thought this was normal. I thought this was cool. That That's definitely, like, the, the pinnacle of my story is I thought this was normal. Because that's all we know. You know? I thought everyone, after they had two drinks and caught a buzz, got thirstier. 
and then decided to steal stuff. And that's not always the case. You know, most people after two drinks catch a buzz, they know it's time to stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't tell this story often, but one early in recovery before I had actually, when I was like in the pre-contemplation stage, if you will, one of my favorite places to drink was uh, the gas station on the, on the strip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I was drinking with the local alcoholic and the clerk. And then there was this old man who was spread out on the counter. And I mean, he, I thought he was dead. He had not moved in like an hour. So I'm just sitting there chilling, shooting the shit with people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the guy stirs awake and he goes, God, I need to check myself in. And I was like, Oh, you need a meeting. And then the other guy, the other alcoholic that I was working or drinking with, he used to work for rehabs. And so we had a um, we had a drunk meeting between the three of us. And then I <laughs> drove him drunk to a um, to the halfway house that he was going to check into. Uh, that probably happens a lot more than we realize. Cool. Yeah. Oh, man, are we blessed to be at least on the sober side of this and having those discussions? <laughs> yeah, dude. I Before I quit and before I, I got into recovery, I definitely had the days where I'd wake up angry that I woke up. I was expecting to die at any moment. And then now after getting sober, I've realized, oh, no, I'm going to be here for a while. So, there, yeah, there's a future I've got to plan out. And. Hopefully I can get on board with more sober events. I want to do things that are bigger than tailgates. Tailgates are cool. And I feel like I could do more if I already had the stuff. But yeah, the rest of the year is going to be a lot of planning for me. Going to look at calendars, going to look at things I can and things that are like way too big and way too small, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Well, let's do a Tennessee, maybe a basketball game. Let's do Tennessee music festival in the area. Um, whatever we can do to help, buddy. Um, also, I'm near Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, I know people out there, so we can we can also dip over there a little bit. Sweet. Hit them up. We're yeah. not afraid. Get on airplanes. Make shit happen. <laughs> I love it. Well, SoberAFE.com or SoberAFE? You are correct, sir. Yes. Okay. Soberafe.com. And you're hiring for an intern right now. So if anybody needs an internship, why don't you why don't you send Duke an email? And that email is at Duke at soberafe.com. Yep. And from there you can find him on the Instagrams, the Twitches, and all the all the wonderful socials. Well, Duke, I really got to thank you for your time. Really appreciate you uh waking up early and starting your day off on how bored are you? Oh, Morgan, love you, buddy. This was awesome. And thank you for what you did. Really, really, really proud of you. We'll be bragging about you for a long time. Thank you. All right. Bye. Peace, brother.